Grant Kirkhope, it's a pleasure to have you on The Sound Architect. Thanks for speaking to us today. It's, uh, thanks, thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, it's been great to have the opportunity to speak to you and ask you a few questions, so I'll dive right in if that's okay. Yep, sure. So, how did your career in audio begin? Where did you start? Well, I mean, you know, I did the usual things at school. I played in, you know, I played recorder and trumpet and did the, the school orchestra and I did the, the North Yorkshire County Schools Orchestra thing, you know, and then, you know, it looked like I was going to be good at music, so... They recommended that I should go and do a music degree, so I went up and did that. That they're on Roland College of Music in Manchester on Oxford Road. Did that for four years, and I'd play. You know, in between doing all that stuff, I kind of picked up guitar and sort of like playing in metal bands a lot. So I did all of that, and then left the, the college and decided to be well to, to, to do nothing, is to go on the door really, be unemployed. That's what I wanted to do. So I did that. I just did that for like you know, playing in rock bands and stuff. And so I played for Little Angels, and they were pretty successful. And I played for Zoot and the Roots, they were pretty successful on trumpet and stuff. And you know, still did metal bands and what have you, and they all kind of jolly along. And then it sort of got to like 33, and everything sort of fell to pieces. And there was like, you know, everything literally just split up. And then I was playing in covers bands and making money from doing that. And it just kind of all came to a big crash, really. And then it was like, oh, I'm not going to, this is this my <laughs> this is day, I'm going to be a tramp, you know. So, my friend Robin Beadland, who, you know, who I'd known by playing in bands together and was a good friend, he'd been at Rare for about a year and a half and said, Look, you know, why don't you? I've got what I'm doing. I've never touched a computer in my life, you know. He said to me, you know, why don't you ever go? I thought, all right, you know. Uh, so I just bought, um, sit by an Atari ST with a Mega RAM, and I bought, well, I had a crack copy of Cubase, and yeah. I bought a Project FX synthesizer. Yes, yeah, sat in my bedroom, um, and I just sort of wrote tunes that I thought would be appropriate for video games, you know. And, you know, he came up a couple of times back to Yorkshire, and I played him the stuff. He said, it sounds quite good, that, you know. So I just sent off cassette tapes to Rare, thinking, you know, I'll get a job there, be easy, you know. I had no idea what it was like. <laughs> As I say, I sent five tapes. I sent it like loads of times, five tapes over the course of a year and never got a reply. And then out the blue, I got a letter saying, please come for an interview. And would you please write three tunes for us before you come down? And I had about two weeks to do it. I had to write like a Batman type piece, a fighting game piece, because they wanted me to do, because I was a guitar player, they were quite, Robin was quite keen to, to do Killer Instinct stuff with him. Right. He, was doing, he was doing the arcade machines at that, at that point. I wrote a kind of Mario sort of type jolly thing. And then I went down for the interview and on a Friday... And I met with Dave Wise, Mr. Donkey Kong, yeah. and Simon Farmer, who's a general manager. I played my tunes and a quick chat, and then I left. And I got a letter Monday morning saying you got the job. And it was like, oh, Amazing. you know, nice. first job of my life. I never, had a job. I never had a job. It was like quite bizarre to think I'm going to actually go and work somewhere. So yeah. I packed up my stuff, said goodbye to my mother, and uh, went down to live in Colville. I lived in Colville at the time. Yeah, yeah, that's where I lived, yeah, for about a year. <coughs> and, uh, that was started at Rare, yeah, 95, October 15th it was. And you were there for quite a long time, weren't you? How many years? Yeah, until 2008. Yeah, so... Ooh, yeah. So, I mean, you've obviously worked on quite a lot, just for benefit of the listeners. What's some of your key projects that you've worked on so far? Well, of course, a bunch of Kazooie games, I did those. I did Donkey Kong 64, uh, Perfect Dark, Golden Eye, of course, did that. Viva Piñata, Grab by the Ghoulies. Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning, did that one. Just recently done some more stuff for Zynga. And I just did the remake for Disney, you know, the um, Cast of Illusion remake thing. I just did that. The Ninja Gaiden, Yaiba Ninja Gaiden Z, they call it, but it's Z for us British people. And that's, uh, I've still got a bit to do on that. It's not quite finished yet. Yeah, because that's out next year, is it? Yeah, I think it's March, somewhere around there. I'm not, I'm not positive. So I think it's before March or whatever, somewhere around there. So what would you say would be your, your proudest project so far? I don't know about that really. I'm, pre- you know, I get asked that quite a lot, and I'm, I'm pretty proud of everything I've done really. I mean, I've never had. I've been very fortunate in the games that I've worked on. I've been pretty successful really. So, you know, due to no fault of mine, obviously, but uh, it's just been. I've just been very lucky. I mean, you know, 
I don't know, really. I'm, I'm really proud of the Banshee because he thinks I thought of really... I really tried to make that different. And I, even though I don't think it is that different, people think it is. So that's me. I don't know if that's the double negativity. I don't know. But yeah, I, I tried to make it not the Mario... Even though Mario music is fantastic. I tried to make it not that kind of overly jolly happy thing. I wanted to make Banjo-Kazooie with a bit more of a quirkier oddballness about them. Yeah, I tried to mix all, I saw them, I tried to get all that in there. So the kind of quirky stuff for the happy bits and then like using dark harmonies for the, the creepy bits, but making it still unpar so it's still, it, it still can, can be construed as jolly by kids, you know? So, yeah, you know, you know I think I probably, I've sort of hit that really. And I'm really sort of, you know, half of it's made by accident. But like, I'm also, I was really mega proud of doing Vivi Piata because I got that BAFTA nomination for that, which was like yeah. unbelievable. And I really like writing that music. It was very, you know, it's very classical sounding, but not, not like, not heavy classical, not, or not just, not boring classical, but sort of, you know, it's, it, was, it was my take on the Elgar Vaughan Williams thing, which, was, which I really love their music, you know, so. Yeah. And I love doing that. It was great. And also, I'm really proud of doing, I can't say, Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning, because that was a really a big score. And like, that was like, you know, my sort of Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter thing, John Williams. Yeah, definitely. You know, like, you know, and I mean, I really loved doing that. And it's a, a, it was a big orchestra and a big project. And, you know, that was, that was good for me because it kind of, it got me noticed, it got me reviewed by bona fide sort of movie reviews score size as opposed to game score size. Yeah. So that kind of got me noticed a little bit, I think, in that in, in those realms that people never heard of me before. I'm like, going, oh, who's this new guy with this new score? And I was like, oh, I'm doing it 18 years, you know, yeah. pretty not, not that new, you know. Look at my very gray hair, for God's sake, you know. Um, <laughs> So, um, yeah, so that was good. So, yeah, I'd say those, you know, those three are probably, uh, you know, were great. But I really enjoyed doing all the stuff I've done. It's been, I've not, I'm lucky, I've not done anything that I've not liked. I've been really lucky. So would you say any of yours have been, like, the most challenging project so far? Like, one of the most difficult for any reason whatsoever? Like, was Kingdoms of Amalur just for the sheer size of it? Was it? Yeah, maybe that was. Yeah, I think think boss pieces for that, that I I kind of really tried to push the boat out on the the kind of big boss battles. uh, Right. In that thing. And those pieces probably took me a week to write, which is, like, slow for me. You know, and because I, I do write quite fast, it may not always be good, but I write, I write fast. So, like, yeah, they were, they were. That was hard, but it was really rewarding because I've never really gone for that before. And I always thought writing like John Williams, not that I can do it, but you know, my attempt at it. I always thought trying to do that was like mega difficult, and I'd never be able yeah. to do it. And then I did. I mean, I said it before, but I literally listened to the first three Harry Potter soundtracks for maybe a year in the car going to work and back every single day. You know, and tried to listen to what he was doing without actually analysing the theory of it, just listening to it and trying to get the kind of the gist of it, you know. I think I did I did an awful lot of learning then, and I think even as an old git that I am, you know, you can still learn. Oh, yeah, I think you can never stop learning, really. I think that's the yeah. problem, isn't it? You know, you can always yeah. learn something. Yeah, I think I felt that, you know, one being an old git, I just too past it to understand something that complicated, you know. So I was quite, I was quite pleased with myself that I managed to have a good, a decent stab at it anyway, you know. Actually, on SoundCloud, I've actually put the, the if you go to SoundCloud Amalore, it's on there. I, I kind of stuck about like, the best tracks on there. That, well, the ones that I think are the best. So you can listen to it on there if you wanted to. It's on there. Is there like a dream project you would like to work on? To make Harry Potter. Yeah. <laughs> Let's finish now. Harry Potter. If it was possible. She's just announced. She? She's just announced that uh, she's going to turn that book. Is it the, uh, the Magical Creatures book? Yes. Um, Warner Brothers have just have just she's announced that they are making that movie now. Nice. So it's kind of set seventy years before Harry Potter. Yeah. So it, you know, it still means that people like Dumbledore and, you know, the Thilda Bagshot, sorry, I'm a bit of a Potter nut, so, but they could turn up in, you know, they could turn up realistically in, those, in, that, in that movie. And uh, J.K. Rowling's actually writing a screenplay for that. Yeah, so like it's a, so it's going to be a proper bona fide Harry Potter, you know, Harry Potter universe. You know, you can dream, can't you? Yeah. <laughs> so a movie's kind of like 
a dream from you then, yeah? Oh, yeah, I would absolutely love to do a movie, yeah. It's like, it's like you know, I really would. I'd like to do everything, really. I'd like to do games and all sorts, but I would love yeah. to get into a, you know, to, to score. You know, to, I like writing that big fantasy music, so I'd love to write something that was fantastical and get into some kind of fantasy movie. That would be amazing for me. Do you have, like, an idol, apart from John Williams, or is he, like, the man? He's it, really. He's it. Um, I still like people like Danny Elfman and like, Anne Sylvester and all the big boys. You know, they're great. Yeah. The guys that, that can really do it. I mean, I really like people like that. So that they're, they're the kind of people that I definitely aspire to, to, to try and be like. You know? Yeah. Have you had any opportunities to meet your heroes yet or anything? Have you met anyone? I've been in the same room as John Williams, but I was too scared to say hello. Oh. So, uh, <laughs> I, know, yeah, I just, right at the end of the do, I kind of plucked up the crow to go and say hello, and then he'd gone. Oh, so, so I missed that one. So you never know. One day. Maybe, maybe another time. Yeah. How early on are you normally involved in the process? Are you involved at like concept stage, or do you kind of get given this game idea and go, right, write music? When you're working as an in-house composer, you're there from the start, aren't you? Like, at Rare, I was there from the start. I was on the team, and you started when they started, and that was it. When you're doing music on a freelance basis, like I've done for other people, you probably get the point near the end of the project. So they've got all the kind of... They're in the post-production. They're kind of getting it all together, and it's, it's time to have some music in there. So that it, so I think it differs. Mm. But I think that the process that I've used to write music has, hasn't changed ever. I just literally, you know, sit at my keyboard, load up a sample of something, a piano or a violin or a cello or whatever it may be. I feel like at the time, French horn, and just just walk around until you know it. I hear a melody that I like or a chord sequence that I like, and then start from there. I mean, I've got, I don't have any, I've, I don't have any magical process where. There's a famous quote by David Lee Roth, Van Halen, he's, he's sitting there, I watch this, I used to watch, I love Van Halen to death, you know, so I used to watch interviews over and over again. And like, he, I remember him saying to this, this, this interviewer, you know, you, you don't sit in a in a darkened room and wait for the hand of the Lord to hand you a song. It doesn't work like that, you know. Yeah. I, I don't, I'm not that kind of, I, I think one of the things about being at Rare over the over that length of time, being a staff composer, is you get used to going in there in the morning and starting work at nine o'clock. So yeah. you sit, you know, go in, you get your cup of tea, you sit at nine o'clock and start writing a tune. You know, and you get used to that workmanlike procedure. So I'm, I can be very workmanlike like that. I think I'm not, the, I, don't, I don't have to sit and wait for inspiration. I just, I do mess around until I kind of noodle something out that I think might be good, you know. So it is just like that. It's nothing magical about it. Still sounds like pretty much a dream job, though. There's so many people that would love to just go, oh, I turn up at nine o'clock and I start writing tunes, you know. No, no, yeah, don't, I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, I'm not, I'm not known for being the happiest man in the world. I mean, I'm, I'm quite <laughs> full there, soon tell you that. Um, you know, and I think everyone moans about everything all the time. Um, but you know, that, well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. I think definitely, especially in Scottish as well. I'm actually Scottish as well as the rest of the world, aren't I? So, like, I think that you know, there is that thing that you, you, I still moan about it. Look, don't get me wrong, and I'm still my problem is that, um, is one of the main problems that I have, of course, <laughs> socially. Uh, no, my problem is that I, I call it the curse of aspiration. Like, yeah. I aspire to be this like superhuman movie composer, you know, and like you know, just be this massive big thing, you know, and like, I want to be that. And no matter what you do, you never get there because I'm never going to get there. You're a Pro Tools guy, aren't you? That's your main go-to. Yes. Pro Tools. Yeah. Do you have any go-to plugins within Pro Tools that you use that you love? Well, you know, I've used Pro Tools, but I, I, I very rarely use it to record any audio. Like, it's yeah. not like that. It, I just use it as my sequencer. Yeah. So, you know, I guess, you know, since Pro Tools 8, Pro Tools has been a lot better. The MIDI on it's a lot better. It's like, it's like Cubase now. Before. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I've just got, I've got Pro Tools 9 here, I've got Pro Tools 11, kind of another place. So like, and that's, I'm using, I've just started using Pro Tools 11, the new one, the 64-bit one. Um, and um, it's good, but it's annoying that everything's not AX yet. That's annoying. No, but yeah, but I mean, I want, 
Stitch Mob, it's great. It's nice to be able to, because, you know, with Pro Tools 9, like, I've just got it sat in my lounge here, like, you know, I do that stuff. You know, I have to run that uh, Vienna Symphonic, the Vienna uh, Ensemble thing. Uh, yeah. Vienna Pro Ensemble, so I had to run play inside that, because if you use play as a plugin inside Pro Tools 32-bit, you can't, you know, it can't look at the street samples, because it's too gigantic. It just gets completely broken. Yeah, it just kind of crashes. You know, so yeah, yeah to, and to get to your... Oh, you're around your PC. You've obviously, been a you know been a 13 bit problem. It can't get past like three gigabytes or two gigabytes of information. You know, can't get anywhere past yeah. that. So you're stuffed. So, so I do run Play inside Vienna Pro, and it works fantastically well. Say I'm an aspiring composer. I want to get into video games. I want to do what you do as, as for a living. Right. Now, where do I start? Give up. That's what I say. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not exactly. You know, it's 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 ridiculously hard to get into the games industry or composing for anybody these days. And I really, I really, because I've been so long in it, I don't think I really know how to do that thing. And I get a lot of emails from people asking that all the time to my website and stuff. So what I generally say, I, I sort of say, make sure that you can write in as many different styles as possible. Like loads of people just forget about that. And like. You know, being a game like working at Rare, composing a billion different styles. You know, especially something like Viva Pinata, where I had to write sixty romance dances, all on a different style of music, from like punk to metal to rap to you name it. I mean, to ballroom dancing to, you know, because game designers, you know, can and will just ask you for the first thing that pop into their head, and just expect you to do it. Like, and it's no good going oh, well, I just do dance really. Oh, that's, I'm unfortunately you're not going to get hired if you just do dance. You know, if you just do orchestral music, you're just not going to get hired. Yeah. You know, so you have to be able to do all that stuff and be and, and do it well. You know, and I was, I remember like back at school do, when I was doing theory lessons, like they said that Mozart or Haydn, one of the two, I can't remember, I think it might have been Haydn, would take Mozart stuff. I'm probably getting this completely wrong chron chronologically, but it was some composer and another composer, I forget the names, right? Would you'd, you'd take the symphonic style off that person, you'd work out what they're doing, like idea A, idea B, idea A, idea C. Rip out what they did and put your stuff back in the back in the place of it in place of what their ideas were, and see how it works. You know, and that's it's a really great way of learning to write music. You should, you know, it's it's you know, pick a track that you're unfamiliar with, or a piece of music that you, a style of music you're unfamiliar with, and listen to it, and then try and recreate it. You know, insert your own ideas into their into their into their skeleton. Yeah. So you pull up the flesh, put your own stuff in. You know, and it, it's a great way of learning stuff like this. I think. You know, and I've done it millions of times to do stuff like that and to help you learn stuff, you know. So that's, I'd say that's a really massive thing. And also, I think the biggest thing about writing music for somebody else is remember that, you, that, that, you know, you're being hired, right, to write music for somebody else. And whether you like it or not, or whether you like what they're telling you to do or not, that's irrelevant. Yeah. You have to write what they want. It's their project. They're paying you. Your work for hire. And it's no good saying, actually, you're wrong there. This is a great piece of music. You just can't hear it. Because they're going to go, why don't you just fuck off, you know. Like that's the way they're just gonna rip. I'm gonna get. Oh, is that right? I'm gonna find somebody else who agrees with me. It's their project, you know. Yeah. I mean, the only the only true way to write music that you like is to go away and write your own symphony, write your own thing, and you do what you like with it. And until that point, you are work for hire. And you can obviously you can make suggestions and say, I, I think this is how it should go. But they say, I don't think it is how it should go. And you go, Yes, I'll change it immediately. That's up. That's no problem at all. Yeah. You know, it's people that say yes all the time regardless of whether they like it or not, are the ones that get on. Absolutely, that's, that's the only way you're ever going to progress. Because, you know, you, people, people hopefully, hopefully they've heard music you've done in the past, and that's why they've hired you to do the, the next, this gig for them. They like what you do, but I always say another day, another Dave Roth quote is, it's like it's, it's, 
it's their rainbow. Be happy to ride on it with them, but it's still their rainbow, you know? So, like, you have to be prepared to do what they want. And if you're not prepared to do that, then you're just going to get, you're going to get fired or you're going to find someone else who will, you know? So those are, I think they're two really important points about writing music for anybody, games, anything, you name it. And I would say to composers, I say, you know, it is massively difficult, but you need, you need to kind of, you need to know people and meet people and get connected network-wise. And that's, the, you know, I've learned living in LA for this last year, that is, that is easily 50% of the battle. Having the, it's a, having the talent's just accepted, right? You can do the job, right? But you don't know anybody. You need to know somebody. You know, all the freelance gigs that I've got over the last year and a couple of years or so has been through people I've known from years gone by or from, I don't know, from just the most tenuous connection possible. Yeah. But, you know, it is, that is it. It's all about who you know. And you need to go to, you, need, you know, to meet everybody, do everything, go everywhere, write longer, work harder. You have to do all that stuff more than in the net, more than the next person because if you're not doing it somebody else is it's a good way you know? to think about it yeah. you know and i and i mean I, I am banging that situation right now you know like you know like you know you have to have an agent in you know to do what you know to be a composer like we're in la right now there's nowhere around it you have to have an agent so like i moved out here and thought oh, yeah i'll get an agent yeah it's gonna be piss easy you know no, no problem at all you know so, you know, I used to start at the top, so I went to look at Gorfain, Gorfain Sports, who's, who's like um, probably LA's most best-known premier agency. They, you know, they've got John Williams and Michael Giacchino and Christ knows who. They've got, you know, Hollywood's top 10 A-list composers are on bloody Gorfain Sports, you know. you know. So I thought, yeah, I'll just go there, be no problem, you know. So, you know, so like, you know, I, wrote, I sent an email, yeah, by the way, it's me, how you doing? No, no reply. Thought, oh, maybe they missed it. Send another one, you know. Never got, never. So, like, I must have, sent, must have sent 50 emails to go, not 50, but I spent a lot of emails to go for sports. It's hard enough to try to find the email addresses. Don't mind sending a bloody email. Yeah. So, I tried that, never got reply, never heard back from them, thought, ah, bollocks to it. So, you know, I've gradually went my way down to the lowest of the lowest agent I could possibly find in LA. And even they wouldn't take me up to that busy site. And then people that I felt I was, you know, reasonably better known than they, than they were, you know, uh, and still wouldn't take me on. You know, and so that was like that. That was like well, it took me at least a year that right to get nowhere, and then completely out of the blue, I got an email from Gofair Force saying, "Would you please come for a meeting?" And I was like, "What is this? Some kind of joke?" And I, you know, and I literally was. I decided. To, I, I thought I'm going to send Cheryl Tiana, who's one of Gofair Force's most prestigious agents, done it for like 20, over 20 years. She's like everybody knows her. She's like probably one of the best agents in, in the in the business. Right. I thought I'd send her one more email just to go, why not? You know, I've, waste, I've wasted enough emails now. I was, might as well waste one more. And that was the one she replied to. I don't know why. Whether she just ignored me before. Or I don't know. And Cheryl's a really, really nice person. It's just it's bizarre. And that got me in the door. I went to meet, and I went to meet Kevin Korn, who's, who is my agent now, um, at Goffin's Forts. I had like four meetings there. They kind of sizing me up. And they said, we'll take you on, you know. Um, wow. and, and that was, you know, for me, you know, absolutely incredible. I mean, to, to be on... That agency, you know, with John Williams, even though he's on, he's in this clouds and I'm on, I'm in the dirt somewhere, you know, um, is unbelievable for me. And like, and I think that, but then the flip side of that is you realise that having an agent is is, you know, a real necessity, you know, and and the, and you know, Goffin Sports have got like lots and lots and lots of fantastic composers, way way better than me. Who are way way more famous than well more well I'm not famous they are you know like that you know and like so you know I have to it's up to me to still push I can't just sit back and go right they'll do it all for me now I'm, I'm going to sit here and get the gigs great that don't work like that it's like you still continue to push all your contacts everyone you know 
try and get gigs, keep mailing people, see got any work, got any, you know, like that, and then go for him and hopefully see that you're, you know, a someone they, they should work with because, you know, you, you work hard, you, you bring stuff to them and, you know, and it's a, it's a kind of, it's, they call it a strategic partnership where we both do this, we both do our jobs all the time. We both look for stuff all the time, you know, so, you know, that's a bit of a big learning curve for me. I, I didn't know any of that stuff when I got to LA, you know, so that was like a, a big thing to understand. I'm, so I'm right in the middle of that right now. I'm, 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 I'm chasing everything that I can. Sorry, it's a very long answer about the question right. about how to get to the business. But yeah, it's you know I, I do say to a lot of new composers, you know, the indie scene is really is really bubbling right now. There's lots and lots and lots of indie guys making lots of great games out there. You know, really, they really are. And a lot of the music's getting massively well known. I mean, you know, my good friend Danny Baranowski and and Jimmy Hinson are both good friends of mine. Are both you know they want to be they want to be indie guys and they're not interested in doing AAA games. They couldn't couldn't give a shit. They, you know, they, their music's well known. They, they, they do a great job. They're fantastic at what they do, you know. And I mean, you know, it's like there's all that going on. So I think that for new composers, they need to search that out. They need to find people making indie games in colleges or, or student projects and all that kind of stuff and offer to, to do the tune for free, you know, because some games get out there and this goes stellar. I mean, they don't all, and there's lots that don't, obviously. But it's, you know, it's a really viable thing. And, you know, you just can't sit back and expect it to happen for you. You have to chase it. Every minute of your existence has to be dedicated to chasing that thing. If you haven't got that that motivation or the time to do it, you're not going to get there. No. You get you know, out what you put in. Flip the coin is that. Is that you know, I've got this little fridge magnet that, that, that my friend of mine bought me. It's a quote from Winston Churchill. It just says, never, never, never give up. And I've got that stuck on my bloody, <laughs> my bloody fridge. So, and I think that's true. It's people that give up that you don't get there. Yeah. If you keep going, you still might not get there. But if you don't give it everything, you know, you're not gonna. You know, like you know, me moving to LA, I thought I have to give it a shot. Yeah. It might. It might be difficult. I might. I might end up. You know, it might be a disaster, and it still could be easily. But you know, yeah, I think you have to give it your absolute all. And I, I, I felt I'm not gonna go through life thinking I could have done movies. I've had a chance. I don't want to. I don't want to do that. I still might not get there, but. I, I want to make sure that I gave it my best shot. I, I, I said to my son all the time, just, it, just as long as you do your best, you can, there's, no one else, there's no one to blame except you. Yeah, I think like me, me get, getting, you know, to Santa Girlfriend's Sports, like they can arrange for me to meet people that I can never get to by myself, right? Yeah. And that's their job. And if I get to that meeting and I'm a complete wanker and I toss and I completely balls it up, then I've only got myself to blame, right? Yeah. So if they can get me through that door, then that, to that person that could do something for me is, that's the point where I need to be able to talk well and sell myself and say, do this job and be keen and be amicable and all that stuff. You know, they don't, people don't want to deal with introvert tossers yeah. who, who don't communicate, you know. Drama they want to be, Yeah, they want, yeah. They want to be full of beans and excited and amicable and you'll change it when they say, I don't, I don't like it and all that stuff, you know. They want it to be like that guy. And that's why directors go back to the same composers over and over again because I, I bet your bottom dollar, they get on well. You know, and they and they know they can trust that guy. He comes with the goods. He's reliable. There's never any kind of problems. That's easy for them. You know, so I think all that stuff is wrapped up inside being a composer. And I think having the ability to compose just isn't enough. It's only half the battle. Fifty percent is all, all the rest of it. Yeah, all that I stuff. Definitely agree because it's yeah. such a tough industry as well, and there's such a high yeah. amount of demand to want that job. But like you said, yeah. if you're not doing it, someone else will be. So. Absolutely, yeah. You got to. You just got to give it your all. There's no way around it. Yeah. 
what would you say to people who provide the excuse of like, oh, I don't have the best software, I don't have the best like instruments, I don't have the best tools at my hands. You know, it's really expensive yeah. to get all this gear. How do I make top quality music without having this available to me? You know, people that say that. Yes. I guess there's some validity in that. It's you know you're going to have to do, you know you know certainly in an, in an orchestral sense, mm. that would be the bit I think where you'd fall down because you're going to have to have decent sample libraries because people expect it to sound the MIDI mockups to sound pretty bloody good these days. Yeah, and I'm not great at that. My MIDI mockups are all right, but I'm getting better, but they're not great. Um, you know, I think on on electronic side of things, um, you know, write electronic music or something that involves you know synths and samples and all the rest of it. I don't think that's a valid, valid excuse. I think you can make something out of nothing there. I don't, I don't believe that. Like, I, I had a, I had a chat with um, uh, a songwriter the other day, I, I, I know very well. He was talking to me about some guys that wrote lots of hits, and he's still using old crappy samples from, from the M1 synth, which is like, pretty old, and was good at the time, but that's like probably 15 years ago, probably longer, you know? And like, so that's, I, so that for me, that's irrelevant. I don't think you can do that. You can get a copy of Massive for pretty cheap, and there's a, there's there's your basic synth, and it does it all. It's got it, everything. Every sound you've ever heard is right inside that bit of software you're looking at right there. You know, learn to use it. I mean, it's complicated, but learn to use it. You can make anything you want inside that sampler in the, that synth theory. Anything you like, you know, you know. So I mean, you know, I'm not the best electronic music guy, but, I've, but you know, the, the music I've done for Ninja Gaiden is all electronic. There's not an orchestral note in it. It's all completely, you know. And I've sat there using damage and on the sphere and all that, you know, all, all that stuff, you know. So you know, I think that. I'm not great at that, but you know, you, you you get a preset, you fiddle around with it a bit, and then you stick it in. It goes, you know, you know, you know. I'm, I'm not, the, I'm not the kind of guy that has that kind of. I hear an awful lot of people say you can't use it, you can't use a patch straight out. Of you can't do that. You just can't. It's not right, you know, because 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 everybody else has got that, all your peers will hear it. And I said, who gives a shit about your peers? Who gives a shit about the composer to next year that recognizes that sample? Because anybody else who hears that that tune you've written in the normal world. Isn't going to go. Oh, that's that's from that atmosphere. That is, I recognise that sound. They're going to go. They're not going to give a shit. Yeah. They don't give a shit. You know, they, all they care about is the normal person in the street, like my wife, just goes, "I like it or I don't." There's no nonsense about sample quality or which synth patch you used or all that stuff. People, the normal person just thinks it's good, and that's it. And even the director oh. won't go. Oh, that's that. You can't use that preset. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. The only instant I come across that is I know some guys working trailers and say. The trailer guys sometimes get very funny about using existing patches and they recognise it. Right. Right. And I've heard that a few times about trailer people. I've never done any trailers like that, just trailer work, you know. So um, I've heard that a few times. That may be true. So even then, I think it's a bit ridiculous because the trailers for some is going to be for people who watch a trailer on, you know, Apple trailer site and they're not going to care about what bloody string sample you use. Or, I don't, you know, so I, so I don't really, really adhere to that point of view. I don't think it's, a, I don't think it's valid. But for me, it's, you know, so as I say, I think orchestrally, you're going to need to get your hands on some decent samples, I think, at some point. You know, I just think you are. There are a lot of good cheap, you know, Spitfire stuff over there in the, in the UK is fantastic. You know, that stuff's great, you know. And a lot of these library libraries are coming down and down and down and down. They're not as expensive as they were, you know. And when I bought Hollywood Strings, it was $2,000. It's like $500 now or something, you know. So, like, you know, it's it's they're coming down, you know. So I think it... You have to just decide what you want to do. If you know, if you want to write pop music or you know electronic music, you're probably going to have to get some some you know some software synths that are pretty cheap and sound pretty bloody good. Let's face it, as long as it's got LFOs and all the rest of it, you can do what you like with it. You can make any sound. You know, you can make any sound you like out of it. That's what it's there for. You know, you preset maybe your starting point, then you fiddle with it to make it something make it something else. 
I'm in two camps with that argument. I think orchestrally, it's, it's, you're going to need something decent, but electronically, I'm sure you can manage with something. Like, for God's sake, people are still using 808 drum samples, aren't they? They're still the, the big the kick, kick drum. I mean, you can get them for, like, what, 10 pence, probably? I don't know, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so for God's sake, I, I, so I don't really... That doesn't hold water for me, I'm afraid. When you were saying about how you have to write in so many different styles, would you say that there is a particular style that's your most difficult genre to write in? Or for me, or generally for you or would you say that over the years because you've had to write in so many different styles that you don't find it that difficult anymore to write so versatile or is there actually one particular genre that you find most difficult to compose in i don't think i don't think i'm great at dance music whatever that happens to be at the time like you know the kind of skrillex thing like i've done a bit yeah. of that for the ninja gaiden um ninja gaiden i don't really pronounce it um you know i've done a bit of that um but um you know I'm not good at that. I don't think. I think I'd have a. I think I'd have put a good crack at it. If I'd put a dozen, dozen tracks and tracks and tracks and, you know, the same old thing. Analyze it, work out what's going on. Yeah. You know, but like, there's so many hip things going on and that stuff. Like the hip synth sound of the moment, the hip drum sound of the moment, all that kind of stuff. That I just probably don't. I'd hit it because I'm like I'm bloody old and don't listen to music very much. You know. Yeah. Um, what a right one. So like, yeah. Yeah. So you know, I'd say, you know, I'm probably not great at that, but but. I'd have a good crack at it, probably. You know? Like I say, you know, this Ninja Gaiden thing, has, it's been all electronics. So it's been quite a... I haven't really done much electronic stuff since Perfect Dark, really. So yeah. it's been quite good getting a crack at that again and having, having a bit of a mess around with it all. So I've quite enjoyed doing that. And, you know, I think hopefully the, the my harmonic sense of stuff and melodic sense that, I still, that, I, that I've got from other stuff would just be something that you wouldn't hear much in that music. So I can interject that into it make it a bit different. I'm not saying I've done that, but maybe I have, I don't know. Um... So, yeah, you know, so I just think that you can't be great at everything. You just can't. You have to do yeah. your best. You have to, you know, now you've got to be a composer, you've got to produce it, mix it, master it, all the rest of it, you know, you know, to, for, your, for your MIDI demos. That's pretty hard. I mean, you get guys that just are just mixing guys, mix engineers. That's all they do. That's their thing. You can't expect to be as good as them. And they can't expect to be as good a composer as you because they don't do it very often. You know, so I think that when, once you get on the ladder, you're going to be able to have a team of people. You're going to go, yeah, you can do that bit, alter this, you do that, and off we go, you know. Well, obviously, I'm not at that point yet. But, um, I do know, know a few people that could do great MIDI mock-ups. So if, I, if I needed something to be really fantastically MIDI mock-up, I'd just probably write it and give it to them and say, I'll pay you 300 bucks an hour and, you know, yeah. make it better. You know, I've written all the music and the, all the parts today. You just got to make it, you just got to get it sounding better. You know, and it, that's, that's something that, I've, that I, I would definitely think about doing. If it's some gig you really want and you think your medium mock-up's not great, then get somebody that is great at doing it to pay them good money to do it and be thankful for it, you know? Yeah. You know, so I think that, yeah, I think all that stuff. That's very wise. Because you have to kind of, if it's something you're not great at, but you still have good music, then it's worth getting someone out there to do it for you and be able to make your stuff sound better when you can't yeah. master, for example. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, for me, it's like, the most interesting, interesting part of music for me is the harmony and the melody. That's my most interesting bit. The rest of it I find tedious. Yeah. Um, you know, so like I like to write tunes, I like to write chords and all that stuff and write and get it great. But the rest of it, I'm, I'm not a great polisher. I almost, I just don't got the interest in it. I have to do it, but I, I, haven't, got, I haven't got the interest really. And I always think that, you know, the, 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 the bread and butter of it is the, the melody and the harmony. So like you can dress it up how you like and make it make it metal or whatever you you know whatever you want to do with it at the end of the day, but it, it, that's the most essential part. The harmony and the melody that's the most important bit, and you can dress it up however you want to dress it up. Any style you like, reggae, rap, I don't care what it is. You just yeah. orchestral. It's still the same thing, just just different colours. So do you still get a lot of time to compose personal stuff at all, or do you find that because you work as a composer so often that you don't really want to work? If you know what I mean. There's a massive. There's a really good answer to that. 
a, a very short answer, and that the word that is never. I never composed for fun, ever. Really? Ever? Never. Never. Wow. Not, not for... I can't remember. I'm, I just haven't got the interest. It's like, I, you know, I think that... I always thought I'd, I'd like to write a symphony, just do it, and just have my own symphony that I've written, that, you know, at some point. But I've never got there, and I can't be bothered to do it. I think that the minute I started working at Rare, my interest in, in, in writing any music apart for myself stopped. It just ended that day. I never, I just don't, because, you know, being, being a music guy was a hobby for my life, like playing in bands and metal bands and all the rest of it and doing gigs. That was, was my hobby, wasn't it? It's what I did. And the minute I started working at Rare, that ceased to be my hobby. It yeah, became my job. job. Yeah. yeah. And it's, I've never, I just, I've never done it since. I wrote, I, I tell a lie, I wrote, I wrote a, when my wife and me got married, you know, a bit where you signed the register. Um, I wrote a piece of music for that. So when I went when we to the register bit, I played this kind of orchestral piece that I'd written for us. It was kind of supposed to meet my personality and her personality, Scottish and English and all that nonsense. So I did a bit of that. Um, so I did that, but I, I got to say that's probably it. Yeah, and even some of that ended up in Viva Pinata. So <laughs> Good little credit there. So like, yeah, but yeah, so I mean, it's like, you know, I don't, I don't do anything at all musically, personally, ever. And do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? Bad, probably. I mean, like, you know, you know, I spent, think of the years that I spent trying to be a good metal guitar player, and I can do all the hammer-on nonsense, all that. I can do, you know, I was that kind of Eddie Van Halen guy, you know, that, you know. Yeah. I spent such, on my, every waking minute doing that, I absolutely wanted to be that guy so much, you know. And like, just, I've got two guitars sat under the bed in here, right? I've got a, I've got a Zach Wilde Les Paul, and I've got the, I've got the guitar that Eddie Van Halen gave me, the early ball music man that he gave me. So, so amazing. I know, yeah, and the sat in the case under the bed, gathering dust. I've not looked at them in, in I can't remember when. Just sat there gathering dust. I just think it's, I, I just can't believe it. I just, I've got no interest at all. So you just, you just, you never get that moment where you sat there and you want to pick it up. It's just always. No, no, not at all. Me and Danny Baranowski did a, we were pitching for a game. Um, uh, and I wanted like uh, 70s funk. And so uh, he did the drums. You know, I, I did the guitar. He did all the back in the drums, the bass, and all that stuff. And, it was, and I liked it. And that's, uh, that's the last time I played guitar. And before that, that was probably a few months ago. No, it was probably February this year. And then before that, I can't remember when I played guitar last. So you think mm. that actually composing for a living has taken your passion out of your music, if you know what I mean? So it's taken your love for just doing it has gone. I'm passionate about what I compose. Yeah, but it's been a passion. Yeah, I'm yeah, not interested. Yeah. To have the passion yeah. to just want to play just for the sake of playing, that's gone. Yeah. No, not at all. Weird. So I don't know why. I just, I'm, I don't know. I haven't got the interest at all. Can you tell us about what you're working on at the moment and what lies in the future? I mean, obviously you mentioned Ninja Gaiden. That's coming out next year. So. Yeah, I'm still doing a, bit, doing a bit of that to go. I've got that hat in time thing to do. I don't know if you've seen that Kickstarter. Yeah, project. I've seen updates, yeah. On, uh, on yeah, so things. they got all that cash from Kickstarter, but they've been, um, they're, actually, they're actually not, they're all based around the world, so they're all not in one place. So um, they're all, uh, they, they had to incorporate. So the guy, I think the guy that runs it, I think he's in Finland or something like that. And he's, they're, they're making an actual company that they're incorporating. Oh. And it's taken, it's taken a little while, but I had to do it. I don't, I think they've got the cash. They got like 300 grand out of Kickstarter. I don't think they've got the cash yet. They're still going through tax stuff. So I think it's going to be delayed. Yeah, so, yeah, so I haven't started on that yet. Um, but I'm just waiting for them to say what they want. Um, so, um, yeah, so I think I'm doing like six. That, the, the, I was kind of included in the, in the Kickstarter thing, so the you know some depending on what cash they made, I'd write an extra tune a bit like that. Yeah. And then every fifteen grand they got, I don't get paid fifteen grand. That's by the way, I don't, you know. But yeah, so yeah, so yeah, so I'm just waiting for that. I've just uh, there's a friend of mine here called Chris Tremel who or Tre I, can't, I don't know if it's Tremel or Tremel. He used to work at Insomniac, and he was the guy that did the original Booger Man. They call it over here, but it's oh. Booger. 
yeah, so it's like it's a, it's twenty years old. So it's kick that I've just I said because the friend said look I'll I'll do tunes for you. So they got that kick time for that. I'm changing. There's other bits and pieces that I can't mention. So yeah. you know I've got I've just got so that's the thing I can sort of talk about right now. Yeah, I'm chasing lots and lots of things. Um, you know you, you get halfway with stuff and then it'll change the minds or it'll stop or you know it's like that. So you know all the time I'm I'm trying to. This is kind of. Like I mentioned, this is this kind of kids' cartoon thing that's that's um, bubbling away at the moment that I might have a, have a shot at, um, uh, but I may not. So let's I don't know. Let's wait and see. Cool. I think that pretty much wraps up the questions for the sound architect. Thank you very much for you know participating and giving us an insight into your work and how you how your process is and everything you use. It's been really really helpful. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you for asking me. I hope, I hope that I didn't talk complete nonsense like I do normally. <laughs> no, no, it all made sense. <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> <laughs>